Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are just tuning in for the first time, make sure that you are connected to us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, like our pages, follow us, look for us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us wherever you get yours at. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks, uh, I am happy to have on the line with me today, Radio Islam cultural contributor, uh, NBA Muslims founder, literary critic, adjunct professor, um, Thank you. Layla Abdullah Pulos. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam rahmatullah. We've got a we've got a lot to talk about, and as always, uh, we've got more to talk about than time uh, to talk. <laughs> so you were recently um, a part of history being made uh, at Comic Con. So yes. I'm gonna so talk about uh, talk about that history that was made that you were a part of. Okay. Well, it was New York Comic Con, which is one of the world's largest cultural convenings. There's mm-hmm. Comic Cons all over the world, but New York has like the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And I was a part of in the first all-Muslim panel, Salam Nerds and Geeks, Islam Fandom Comics and Popular Culture. And it was moderated by Dr. Shamika Mitchell from SUNY Rockland uh, University in New York. So she she put together this fabulous panel of comic book artists, and uh, I, w- I I served as a cultural contributor, a cultural critic on that panel. Graphic artists. It was like it was really amazing. It was a really amazing panel and convening. We had cosplayers. This uh, this group, this cosplay group, the Hijabi Heroes. Okay. The hijabi heroes. Oh God, yeah, they're amazing. They are a group of cosplayers. So cosplayers are people who dress as their favorite comic book characters, and so they actually won uh, second place. And Marvel Comics has uh, a contest at uh, New York Comic Con, and they actually won uh, second place in Marvel's becoming cosplay contest. Okay, so wow. they were they were actually in the front row of the panel. And so it was just really, it was Muslims and non-Muslims that uh, were just kind of like developing a, a further appreciation and celebrating uh, Muslim creativity mm. and fandom and in comics and in graphic novels and everything like that. And it just really was an amazing event. It, you just, I, it was my first time there. Some, my husband and daughter, it's their thing, really. They go every single year. Okay. And I was kind of messing up their game a little bit. They couldn't wait till the next day when they got to leave me at home. Because <laughs> they were like, Ma, hon, come on. Because <laughs> I was like a kid in a candy store just wandering around. So you, so you, were, not, so you, were, you were not originally into comics? I, no, I was not really t- totally into comics. I always had a, an, an issue kind of with comics and only in terms of my inability to really effectively read them. Hmm. I, I like graphic novels, okay. you know, so like black and stuff like that. So I like that. The storyline is, is not as thick. And just like all those little boxes everywhere kind of drive me a little crazy, just a little nuts. So I really have to buckle down and really like a comic 
to sit down and read that comic. But I do love graphic novels, and I do love watching that cre- the creativity of the cosplayers and everything like that. It's really my husband and my daughter. My daughter is a graphic artist mm-hmm. and a manga artist, so that's something that the two of them did every year. But I was invited to be on this panel just to, because of the uh, talk about Muslim creativity overall. Okay, so that so that was really the focus. Really that was the the major focus of the panel: Muslim creativity, Muslim creativity, and fandom, and and okay. and comics and popular culture overall. And it's just really growing and expanding. And one of the great things that's happening is that not only um, I'm going to hone it in just for a second to mm-hmm. NBA Muslims, specifically African American Muslims. Sure. African American Muslim creator creatives are doing something really, really spectacular. And that is that they are influencing, okay, uh, African culture, as they always did. I mean, if you go all the way back to jazz, you have African-American Muslim influence. Mm -hmm. So um, rap, you have African-American Muslim influence. So it's happening here, too. So, you know, one of the panelists, Yasmin Yasmin, she gave, uh, she talked about a lot of... um, African-American influence, like you can see in, oh, my God, I've got the name of the show because I don't have television. It's a show on, on WB, Black Lightning, I think it's called? Yeah, Black Lightning. Black Lightning. So yep. She started talking about that, and, and, and I believe uh, uh, some of the people on that project are Muslim. And so you can see, like, different... Uh, African-American influences in that. But also the creatives themselves are kind of expressing their Muslimness mm-hmm. and, and, and their African-Americanness and marrying those. It's happening in literature. It's happening here, too, and I'm seeing it, and I'm, like, loving every minute of it. And I cannot wait for the black Muslim Lucas. I know there's an artist out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's going to write us? <laughs> the black Muslim, African American Muslim Black Panther. There, the creatives are out there. If we give them more support, I've got to give a quick. And, I got to give a quick shout. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, just a, just a, a, a bow of respect and a bit of sadness to to hear that Luke Cage has not been picked up for a season, uh, for a third <sighs> season, on Netflix, and. You know, I, I so much appreciated the, the the first two, and I was looking forward to the third. But that's a that that's that's another well. Netflix another conversation. dropped a lot of their Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Netflix dropped a lot of Marvel. I think that uh, I I can't even tell you why, but they they dropped a lot of Marvel. I think it was like they they Netflix does have a tendency to kind of like suck in a lot of stuff when they see uh, uh, a popularity growing in one cultural niche they will start to have overload of content mm-hmm. in that cultural niche I mean one perfect example is zombies okay you know when The Walking Dead become, became really really popular and everything Netflix content definitely reflected that ad nauseum it was like too many can we not have any, any more undead people <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so they kind of like drop. They they dropped a lot of their Marvel content, Mar and Marvel based content as well. So it's just like a shift that they they're making, uh, and um, kind of. I think they're starting to kind of shift more towards like the Black Water type, the British show, so mm. like those that type of content and everything. And then they'll shift again. That's what they do. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they do. But. 
fans can influence it. If there's a large enough campaign of of, black, of Luke Cage fans that approach Netflix and say, what you doing? Are you bugging? Bring Luke Cage back. They'll bring it back for at least another season. So the fans got to get on top of that. Okay. So. Okay, but back to Comic-Con. Yes, back to Comic-Con. <laughs> so it was a really, really great convenience. And like I said, it was Muslims and it was non-Muslims. And I met these uh, fantastic comic book uh, authors the, uh, and I actually got a couple of them, but this one really, really um, pegged my interest. And it's Zendan yes. by Omar Merzer. He's the uh, uh, co-creator of it. And it's Zendan, The Last of the Empires. And he was very, very nice. You have to have him on because he has some really, really interesting views about using comics and creativity as social commentary and kind of like resisting against certain stereotypes and everything like that. So it was like really, really great. And so I think he'd be an interesting uh, person to have on the show, just a little hint. Duly right. <laughs> so, noted. Uh, he gave me he gave me his, his first uh, four installments of Zendan. Okay, and I got signed copies and everything, so I was like really fangirling for a second. This is an amazing <laughs> comic because again, these are independent uh, comic book publishers, so they're making their own comics, mm -hmm. and this is amazing because. The graphics are oh my god! And I can attest Usually, to that because I've 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 got the first two, uh, I got them digitally, and yeah, I can definitely okay. attest to that. But go right ahead. The, the hard copies are amazing. The hard, I saw the digital, but the hard copies are so amazing. And I think it's because even though I'm not a fan of comics, I am a cult, like like it's a part of literature. So I do keep my eye out, and I have colleagues who are definitely into comics. Mm -hmm. And so they're always like talking to me about it and everything like that. So I, I glean them. I just am not as deep into them as I am in other uh, forms of literature. But what I, this is some of the best graphics I've seen in a Muslim-based comic, okay? Mm -hmm. There are comic book uh, creators all over the world. There are Muslim comic book creators all over the world. Not all of them make it Muslim-focused. And those that do, there's a huge uh, uh, a segment of comic book makers that make it Muslim-focused or Islamic-focused. So it's really about teaching about the faith and, and things like that, which is great, which is wonderful. And, but they kind of like take a little bit of the middle of the road. It's more of a popular comic, but it's Muslim-based. So mm -hmm. the characters are Muslim. You'll see the uh, backdrop is uh, phenotypical Muslim and everything like that. You have Jin, which I love, because like, oh my God, the, 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 just the Jin character alone, the yeah. graphics are amazing. And so uh, they really did a fantastic job with that because usually you don't see that in Muslim comics. And so I think that these creators uh, are kind of like, and there's another one who did the same thing. Um, this is Split Moon Art. Okay, so Adil Imtaz, he had Barack, okay, and I didn't get a comic of it, though. But he does, uh, I think they've, 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 they're now going into uh, uh, media, so they're making cartoons. But, and the cartoon clip was amazing. Like, he, like, you have these creatives that are really venturing into and grasping and taking all of the amazing technology and artistry that's available to them and they're making Muslim focused content. Okay. It's 
And it's very expensive, but they're doing it anyway because it's very, very appealing to uh, a larger demographic of comic book uh, fans. You know, you, you want to make something that's going to appeal to your fans, and so they really, they really, really did an incredible job. Speaking, speaking, of, speaking of, those, of those fans and creating quality uh, graphics and quality storylines um, independently, what was the response that you saw? <clears throat> uh, what was the response that you saw uh, while you were at uh, Comic-Con with regard to the Muslim artists? Well, I know that they ran out of comic books than Dan did. That's a great <laughs> sign. They left on the table. That's a People great sign. People were like making a beeline and, uh, to their table and when I was there, and I kind of like snatched up the artist who was talking to a lot of people and everything like that. And so I think that it was, it was, Vendana in particular, I didn't get to go to the other one, but because I got like trapped, I got caught up with talking to the artist at Zendana, uh, with Zendana. And so people were coming up to them, they were talking to them. Uh, they definitely gravitated towards the graphics in the comics. And because um, they had uh, all kinds of prints and everything available. And so people definitely did like that. They definitely did like seeing that. And I think, you know, if you give fans what they want in the sense of following certain uh, protocols when it comes to your, uh, your creative uh, niche, mm -hmm. you can make a mark for yourself in that niche. I just had a conversation with someone who... Uh, became Muslim, and she was she was an urban fiction writer, and she stopped writing urban fiction when she became Muslim really? because she felt like she wanted to honor her faith. And so, I, I, you know, one thing that I pointed out to her is that, you know, genres are fluid. You can make your mark in urban fiction and write urban fiction your way. Exactly. You know, you're urban, and so, but we never, we don't always think like we don't always think like that we don't always think along those lines because i think in a lot of muslim culture it's an all or nothing thing okay it's like well this is your faith and so everything outside of that is automatically haram and you know i've seen my daughter go through it as a creative mm. it's automatically haram instead of encouraging muslim creatives to make these genres and these these niches and carving out their own space in them. So there is, I, I pointed out that there is an urban, a Muslim urban fiction author, Um Jawaria. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, like, we've had her on. <laughs> so you can write in urban fiction. You can write in romance. You can write in uh, uh, contemporary fiction. You can write, uh, uh, um, what is it, suspense. Mm. Okay, like uh, uh, Sahar Abdulaziz. You can, you can write in sci-fi. Okay, like Jeanette Grant. Yeah, so you have all of these. Uh, yeah, you, ha you have the opportunity to do it, and I think going to Comic Con and having this panel, you know, Shamika Mitchell was brilliant in putting together this panel because it really is about carving your niche as a Muslim creative, you know, and interacting with your fellow creatives, but developing a an appreciation within yourself and a confidence within yourself as a Muslim creative because. I think the broader society, a lot of people in the broader society, will will be open to embracing that, you know. And any problems that you want across, you would have ran across anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. these spaces tend to be very um, misogynistic and racist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I think, Layla, I think you bring up a really important point uh, in mentioning 
the uh, the opportunity that's open in all these different genres, uh, and and that mm-hmm. extends that that extends uh, into into the into the arts, uh, into science. It extends into every facet of um, of, of of civilization, you know, of society. Yeah. And and I think that's important when we think about making the world a better place, uh, mm-hmm. improving uh, the the culture. We have that means we have to contribute to the culture. Uh, and some yeah. people, and and you know, we know there's some uh, there's some ideologues who have the belief that uh, any evidence of art or uh, artistic expression, you know, just in general, that it's a it's a it's a deviance. Um, it's a, it's an expression of 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 of, of, of shaitan, right? Um, and, well, I think that those ideologues you may find that they're biased for another reason, because there is definitely acceptable quote-unquote, Islamic art and architecture, which tends sure. to be very traditional Middle Eastern-based uh, uh, or South Asian-based. Like, all of that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. It's only when you come over here and you have, especially <laughs> black Muslims, mm-hmm. say, you know what, we want to express ourselves a certain way. Or young uh, Muslims that were born and raised in, in, in the United States, well, we like to express ourselves a certain way, then it becomes a matter of, well, that's Haram, that's Haram, that's Haram. And that's not the way the faith has ever been. Right. That's not what the faith teaches, you know. You know, there are things that you have, you know, all artists, and that was one of the things that I mentioned, all creatives, okay, whether you're a, a visual artist, whether you're a comic book writer, whether you're a graphic artist, whether you're a musician, whether you're a, um, uh, an author, and so on and so on. They all have to navigate through determining what it is they can and want to do based on the relationship that they want to have with their creator. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's something very intimate, and that's their business. Right. <laughs> okay? And so the whole notion that creatives don't go through that process is just very, very dismissive and, and, and just wrong. Mm-hmm. All creatives go through that process, okay? Whether it's that they decide not to write uh, or not to create uh, something that's Muslim-centered, but they're Muslim and, they're, they, they, and, and they practice their faith or whatever, that, that's what they've decided to do. Or if they decide to make it a little bit more Muslim-centered or they decide to go full-blown, this is, this is a Muslim comic. This is this is this is a Muslim rap album. This is going to be about the faith. It's going to be about uh, our relationships with the law and everything like that. We as a society have got to learn to respect and honor and appreciate that more. Mm-hmm. Okay, because what's invariably going to happen is this, and you see it. That creators are going to create. This is something that Allah gave them. These talents are something that Allah gave them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's it drives them. Okay, and I don't think people fully appreciate how much creative people, how much that is a part of who they are. Right. It drives them. So if you're saying, if you're cutting off Islam as a mode and a means for them to express their creativity, they'll just express it other ways. And then Muslim culture will be the thing that suffers for it. Yes. Muslims and Muslim culture, because creatives are our voices. It's not the scholar. Mm-hmm. It's not the imam. Or it, it's the creatives. When, it's, when you're talking about our voices and our expressions to society at large, okay, 
that's the creative's role. And we need to embrace them and respect them and support them, you yeah. know, and, and in the processes that they go through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So at this uh, at this space, the New York Comic Con, um, this historic panel where we have four four Muslimas uh, on the panel, panel yeah. being being moderated um, by uh, tell me the uh, sister's name again. Shanika Mitchell. Shanika Mitchell. Shanika Mitchell, brilliant professor, brilliant professor at SUNY Rockland, and um, this is her thing too, like Comic Con. Yeah. <laughs> That's like her thing. I'm very much like, you know, the fish out of water. <laughs> I, was. I was, but she was wonderful. Like she, she took me under her wig and let me follow her around like the lost person I was <laughs> Right. until I got, until I got my bearings straight. But there were actually five women and four African-American women. Yeah. Okay. So you had the moderator and me, you had Hamida Poulos, my baby. Who's mm -hmm. a graphic artist? <laughs> so, yes, your daughter. Yes, your daughter's on the panel with you. That... Yeah, she was on the panel with me. That's awesome. And um, she, she told. I just suggested her. I did not. I just said, "Oh, my daughter's a graphic artist." And then Shamika connected with her, and they interacted with each other. I had nothing to do with it beyond that, beyond mentioning who she was. And so she really wanted like that kind of voice out there. Uh, a creative, uh, an African American Muslim, a creative, and she did. She like she expressed like where she was in in her artistry and everything like that. You had Yasmin, Yasmin, who was a force. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she really, really was. You know, you knew this was hers. This was her. This was her place. This was her wheelhouse. She she uh, gave very, very, very good advice and also just really let the audience know about Muslim creativity, particularly among, in, in comics and uh, 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 other forms of like, like Marvel comics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So she was really, really great. And then um, you had me, who was the kind of overall. One of the things that I pointed out was that uh, a lot of the stuff that I saw there's still not enough. I know there's African-American uh, Muslim creativity out there. I just think that is so stifled mm -hmm. at this point. And I think, again, African-American Muslims are doing their creatives a disservice. I've been doing NBA Muslims now for going on three years. Mm -hmm. and No, over three years, because it was when I was a grad student in 2015. And... Um, I see it. I see it all the time. I see the struggle that African-American Muslims in particular go through. Creatives. They go, they're in a vice. Many of them are caught in a vice. One side is their own culture, okay, African-American Muslims who are consistently trying to stifle them because of misconceptions mm -hmm. about, like you said, the threat, the quote-unquote threat that their creativity may mean to their deen, all mm -hmm. right, without knowing that you're actually damaging their, their, not only their creativity, but their dean as well, because you're creating this schism between who they are as a person, as a creative, and how they want to develop their relationship with their Lord. So we need to stop doing that. But also you have like this, this total lack of representation, okay, mm -hmm. where African-American Muslims struggle consistently, despite having some real, have some, uh, being some of the the most creative American Muslims there are. You know, I'm going to be quite honest. Uh, uh, I'm not going to name names, mm -hmm. okay, because she'll kill me if I do. But 
you know, for example, I, there are phenomenal, phenomenal mm. Muslim women, African American women, uh, hip hop artists. Phenomenal. I mean, their technique, their style, their execution is just like on point consistently, and they don't get as much representation or attention as non-African-American, non-black Muslim women who decide to dabble in hip-hop for a second mm-hmm. and are not even half as good. Let me ask this question. Not even half as good. Let, let me ask this question, Layla. When, when we come into spaces with, um, um, I guess, with these, these uh, hyphenated identities, Mm-hmm. And especially as creatives, does that creativity necessarily? Well, and of course, it's up to the creative. But do you see, um, uh, in in your experience, what what you've seen? Do you see that creativity expressing itself in a way that acknowledges all these identities, or is it coming from a space where it could be an African American Muslim, it could be a South Asian Muslim, it could be a European Muslim? Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, whatever the identity is, but it comes. Their art is reflecting just one side. It's just ref- it's reflecting an ethnicity as opposed to the uh, the the religious identity, the the spiritual mm-hmm. um, self. D- do you see? H- how do you see that playing out? Well, the spiritual identity and ethnicity are intrinsically linked. Mm-hmm. This is the reason why I said, you know, like Islam, Islam itself is very, it has a very, a lot of fluidity when it comes to culture. Right. I mean, there are certain things that, that will come from a person's culture that may be something that is not acceptable Islamically, and they have to decide what they're going to do about that. All right. But other than that, you know, you are definitely influenced by your ethnic culture as well. Okay, you're definitely influenced by your national culture as well. Okay, so this whole this whole idea of Comic Con is a perfect example. Okay, of culture outside of Islam, uh, outside of the teachings of Islam, definitely influencing people, but the Islam influences them as well. So I want to dress up like Black Panther, but I'm going to wear my hijab around it. I want to dress up like Storm, but I'm going to wear my hijab a certain way. So it's like it gets they they influence each other. So what happens is when you when you take out those 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 cultural adjectives, all right, and you just say Muslim, which is what Middle Eastern and South Asian Muslims love to do. So I'm gonna be honest. This is what this is a problem, and they need to fix it. Uh-huh. And they present it to the broader society, which is so good at generalizing. Yeah. Okay? That's what that's what we do best. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, and you say this is Muslim. When it's not Muslim, it's actually South Asian Muslim. Yeah, all right? absolutely. That's true. When it's actually Middle Eastern Muslim. Mm-hmm. Okay? And not, not indicative or reflective of the African American Muslim or European American Muslim or Latino American Muslim experiences mm-hmm. here in the United States that people are going to generalize that. Now, what happens is African-American Muslims, I think a lot of it comes from the African-American culture. was like, this is who we are, mm-hmm. okay? These are our voices. This is the tradition and the heritage that we belong to. 
So we have a tendency to put black Muslim, African-American Muslim, and say this is a black Muslim thing, this is an African-American Muslim thing, which is needed because it's not reflective or indicative of what's happening in other sub subcultures in, an Amer- in the American Muslim cultural identity. So we definitely need to do that. And I think if we do that more, mm-hmm. not only will it prevent a generalization, so you have this phenotypical Muslim who's inherently foreign, mm-hmm. okay, passing white, or at least light enough to be acceptable at, uh, at the, 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 the closest bigots table, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 or immigrant descent, okay, so and struggling because their parents don't understand them and all their their parents don't understand because they're so outside of the culture and all this stuff. Right. So we know that it's not just that. That's not that's not uh, Muslim culture. That hasn't even historically been Muslim culture. Okay, right. this is this is something fairly new. So if we prevent that, okay, we won't necessarily prevent the anti-blackness that exists in Muslim culture, but creatives have, at least then, have the freedom to interact with each other and appreciate what's going on with each other in these cultural subsets and highlight each other based on that mm. as well. So, And it becomes very, very important for Muslim culture, especially uh, black Muslims. When we did, so like when we did um, Black Muslim Reads, Mm-hmm. That became very important because we did not know. What, I didn't realize how many <laughs> black Muslims are out there writing. <laughs> yeah, I was a whole lot. Yeah. So now let's 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 look and, and and support and look for those black Muslim creatives in comics, in graphic artistry, and let's support and let and and let's not continue to try to stifle them and let them express themselves more. So I think it is important. You need to put, this is a Desi Muslim thing. This is a Middle Eastern Muslim thing. You can even go to your country of origin and, and knock yourself out. But it's not an American Muslim thing. It's not an American Muslim thing. Because when you think about American Muslim culture, it would default be black. Because we, we've been here the longest. So this is what, and we've been creating the longest. And we've been influencing the culture the longest. I like the idea of having spaces where we can um, we, we can celebrate our cultural uh, uh, differences um, mm-hmm. but then also but but of course celebrate, celebrating those differences is not done in a way where it is disrespectful to anybody else you know who mm-hmm. does not share mm-hmm. that same uh, that same upbringing the same culture because you know it's something, it's something interesting, and I think um, Khaled Beydoun, uh, one of his recent posts, um, he put up, and it was with regard to this idea of the phenotypical Muslim, and he said that the majority of uh, of, of Arabs are not Muslim. Um, yeah. And um, no, I should say this: the majority of Muslims are not Arab. That that was uh, uh-huh. that that was the point. And he's, you know, he went on to point out there are more uh, in, in Sudan or Nigeria and, and some other Indonesia, uh, but but the point that I'm I'm getting to here is, but there is a culture that is shared. That is there is a culture that is uh, that is uh, that is Arab. Uh, there is a culture that is um, South Asian or you know Indian Pakistani. Uh-huh. There's a culture that exists in every place that that over that overlaps religion. So you may be of different. You may be a different religion than someone else, but there are certain things that are innately um, uh, similar uh, that, that you're going to mm-hmm. share. 
So I think that's a very important uh, conversation uh, to have, to, to realize what are the uh, specific markers that you're going to have uh, from from your particular group. But And I think in, in realizing that and when, when, when we start bringing together those moments where we were able to come together and realize that we all bring something different, then oh. I think this idea of an American, a real American Muslim uh, culture, it presents itself because it's, it's going to be one that really patterns itself on this idea of pluralism, which is in itself a reflection of 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 uh, of, of Islam itself. You know, if we look at the uh, the the uh, Constitution of Medina, right? It was it was pluralism uh, at its at its uh, at, at its roots. So. Yeah, I think those those are great points. Very, very great points. Well, the culture is multifaceted. And, you know, it's interesting because that's one of the things that I pointed out in, in my thesis about uh, African-American Muslim romance. Yeah. Is it African-American Muslim romance? Yeah, they are. We're writing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and how African-American Muslims, when they write, you can see how it is that they're utilizing the African-American literary tradition. There are certain concepts and points that are made in the African-American literary tradition um, where, like, say, for instance, in romance in particular, you shift the black bodies from one of servitude into one where they are deserving of what's called illness love. love. Mm -hmm. um, when you're making social commentary. Okay, as well, uh, and with and with faith often plays a role in the literature. So you can see concepts and ideas that he, that's utilized in the African American literary tradition, used by African American Muslims and African American Muslim romance writers in particular, uh, write from that tradition, and African American Muslim writers write authors write from that tradition, and you can see it in all of the writing. And one thing in particular is that you can see how the, the faith plays a role in African-American, a lot of African-American Muslim literature mm -hmm. in ways that it necessarily doesn't in non-African-American Muslim literature. I'm talking about in American Muslim literature. So I'll even give like two examples. I'll give textual examples. All mm -hmm. right. Um, YA. Okay. Which you and I know that I'm not the hugest fan of, but you know what? When? Let me let me Layla, let me let me pause you right here. Okay. So you got two examples to okay. give and you're gonna start with YA, but let's let's pause for a moment. We're gonna take a quick break. We will return in a moment. This is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV fourteen fifty AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its north side location, located at fifty four thirty nine North Broadway. They provide housing social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot. Miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah, oh, 
that's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Excuse me. I know you have a nine o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me, get granular, keep me in the pipeline. But nada, nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Keep up with us on social media and find us wherever you get your podcasts. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you'll find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn, and anywhere else that you get your podcast at. Um, we are having a great talk with Radio Islam cultural contributor, NBA Muslims founder, adjunct professor, and uh, what else am I leaving out? Literary critic, Layla Abdullah Poulos. Author, my book is coming out. Oh wow, that's like that's like the number one thing, right? And an author. Yeah. So so after after you give these examples, we have to also talk about that because we 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 need to know when to find the book. But 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 before okay, so we cut to break. Example. Before we cut to break, yes, you yeah. were about to give us two examples. Um, so, go right ahead. All right. So, two examples of um, how a, a divergence when it comes to content and style between African-American uh, Muslim authors and non-African-American Muslim authors, as I, I, I found in YA in particular. Mm-hmm. And I'll just give two two texts. Uh, YA, right. YA um, is? Which, uh, young adult? Young adult. Young adult. Young adult. Okay. Yes. All right. So I'll give two texts. All right. And I liked both of them. I like both. So I'm going to give two texts that I like. Okay. So one is Muslim Girl by African American author Um Zakia. Mm-hmm. And the other is The Acquaintance by Taiba Sayed. Okay. I like both of the books, actually. All right. And both of them were about levels of identity crisis that young Muslim girls go through and also uh, about deciding on whether or not to pursue a crush. Both of them have that in, in them. Uh, Uzakia's book centers an African-American Muslim girl and uh, uh, Taiba Saeed's book centers an Asian-American Muslim girl. Okay. One of the things that I noticed in both of the books, okay, when it came to the level of whether or not to pursue a crush, for example, 
Okay, the face definitely played a role in everything that Anaya did. That's the main character of, of Umzakir's book, uh, Muslim Girl. The face was constant and consistent, and uh, you, she, 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 she consistently brought it up, brought it into play in all the decision-making, even when she was making mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Even when she was making mistakes, it still was the, the faith was front and center. So her identity crisis was also a spiritual crisis at the same time, mm. okay? And that's something that you'll see in a lot of African-American Muslim authors' books, is that the, uh, any kind of, of, of social crisis that they're going through, um, the faith will play a role in it. Either it will be something where they're keeping in mind how it is it's affecting their faith, or the faith gives them the strength for redemption, okay, which happens in uh, Muslim Girl. In The Acquaintance, the faith wasn't there as much. It was really more of a cultural identity, being Muslim, and, you know, there were some semblances of it, but it wasn't consistently the driving force. Now, the main character, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry. The main character uh, thought about, when she was thinking about whether or not to pursue her quest, she definitely was like, I'm a Muslim girl, I can't do that type of thing, okay? But it wasn't nearly as faith-based, so the character wasn't really, as nearly, seemed like nearly as driven by her faith as she was by social convention from the Muslim culture, mm, okay. that type of thing. So, and you'll see that a lot. You'll see that not only in YA, but in other forms of, of literature. I can't really compare romance because African-American Muslims in particular and black Muslims mm -hmm. in America are really the only ones writing Muslim-based romance. With the, and I can't wait for uh, non-black and non-African-American Muslims to decide to venture out into it. Mm -hmm. But they haven't yet. Okay, but I'm trying to pull some people in. <laughs> right? I am. I'm like on my social media, like when you go write it, right, girl? You go write it, right? You are, you're author <laughs> wrangling. I'm also wrangling because I think it's so important. And we'll get into romance a whole other time. Yeah. But you'll see. So you see where the African American literary tradition influenced. I could definitely glean in influencing Umzakia and other authors like um, Nashi Jackson. Um, Juwaria, uh, 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 Karima Grayson, Jeanette Grant. There's like a whole lot of African-American Muslim authors out there who are writing faith-based uh, novels, and you can see the African-American literary tradition in that. So I think that's another reason why it's so important, because when you're talking about Muslim fiction and you're looking at, even though it's a good book, books like The Acquaintance, okay, then you kind of think, well, this is Muslim fiction, which really isn't. It's so multifaceted and has so many layers to it that you can't just look at this particular thing and say, well, this is what Muslim fiction is comprised of, because it simply isn't. Mm -hmm. Interesting points. Um, that makes sense. Like whenever a story is told, if, especially if you're talking about an individual, when you start looking into character development, you have to look at the the things that make us who we are uh, and that mm -hmm. comes into our support system, whether it, you know, it's our family, our faith, um, sometimes our jobs, uh, these things become central in, 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 in describing uh, and painting a picture. So yeah, that, mm -hmm. that makes absolute sense. So tell me this with, um, I'm sorry, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Well, I was saying, so that's why when it comes to American Muslim creativity, we definitely need to kind of have those nuances, those ethnic nuances added to it 
so that we can appreciate in each other and we avoid societal generalizations about it because the broader society, like I said, we're very, very equipped to generalize. Yeah. And so that's one of the ways that we can avoid even that happening and uh, our, our, so much of our culture being erased because of it. Okay, I'm going to take a, a detour off of uh, Comic-Con for a moment just just to bring up something that, for me, it relates to this idea of generalizing. And I think, for the most part, mainstream America um, is comfortable with generalizations. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and and you see that when you do a contrast, uh, if you look at African uh, uh, nations, uh, if you look at even European nations, uh, there is a tendency to have a there's a greater awareness, not a tendency. There's a natural awareness of of of, of the other. And uh, my support for that is multilingual uh, polyglots. Right. People speaking multiple languages. Um, and and that's not something that that we have here. Right. Just that one thing um, with, you know, with regard to, you know, you assume everybody here is going to speak English and then kind of demand that everybody speak English. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I'm what I'm getting into here is there was some, a recent comment made. I don't know if you heard about the whole dust up with uh, Megan Kelly, um, former Fox News um, host or anchor didn't or whatever. Someone has to school her. I saw it on my timeline, but I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she got schooled. You know, she got schooled. She was she was trying to defend this idea of it being okay for okay. for white um, people to dress up in blackface for uh, for Halloween, and her 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 whole thing was, and 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 mind you, this is rational when you have a worldview that where you where you see the world just in in, in just generalizations. Um, where you don't worry about specificity. Um, and her whole thing was, as long as it's respectful and it's it's doing the character justice or whatever. And she apologized after she, you know, after she, you know, she was taking the yeah, test. Well, NBC still fired her. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is, but I'm sure she's going to land on her feet. And I'm not bringing it up because uh, I talked about this uh, uh, yesterday, but I'm not bringing it up to go in any further on her, but just to bring uh bring up one of the points that she said and what she she said um yeah. um I'm paraphrasing I'm just she says I'm wondering how many people or it gets tiring trying to um to not offend so many different people uh we just you know basically we just want to be normal um to go back to, to what we knew or she something like that normal. yeah I'm, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing normal. but she did use she normal yeah, she did reference normalcy, and and the whole the whole thing there was, people there are a lot of folks who have not who who don't who who've not trained themselves, uh, or who didn't come up with complexity with with um, analyzing things mm-hmm. on anything greater than just what they see, uh, on a deeper yeah. level. So that type of uh, what what you were just talking to about you know, these nuances and, um, that's totally absent. Uh, it's totally absent. Mm -hmm. And these uh, generalizations are, they're comfortable for, for a whole lot of people. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's really what we're, what we're pushing back against. Well, 
I'm going to be as quick as possible because I know we'll probably run out of time. First of all, and I, so I'm going to be direct. Yeah. All right. It's called systemic white ignorance. All right. I did not coin that phrase. Okay. A white academic coined that phrase. And it's that white people in the society are, are, are mostly brought up in these isolated bubbles of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Okay. With a few uh, minorities sprinkled in so that they don't seem racist. But it's a very homogenized type of environment that they live in. And it happens everywhere. It happens if you think you're in a a diverse city like New York City. No, there's plenty of white, systemic white ignorance in New York City. It's just framed in more of kind of like a liberal uh, guise. And so what happens is normal means white. Normal means what you're brought up with because you're not, you were never really encouraged or had to, for a matter of mere survival, social survival, learn about other cultures and ethnicities and everything like that. All people outside of white culture have to learn about white culture. We all do. Okay? That's why blacks code switch. Mm -hmm. You know, Nashi Jackson once said during the interview, why do I hear the black New Yorker coming out in your voice? (laughs) Because I had to code. (laughs) I got two laps. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's real it's because real. that's what you learn to do yeah and so but whites don't generally have to do that a huge population of whites don't have to do that but when they go out into society one of the places that is it's where it's shown but one of the first places it's shown is college Mm-hmm. That's why you have so many problems in college because you have all of these white people that were brought up in these isolated white bubbles, and now they're in a more diverse uh, environment, and they're expected to treat people outside of their very myopic cultural construct with dignity, and they just simply don't know how to. Okay, they're they're isolated and they're also fed stereotypes right. a lot, a whole lot of stereotypes, and so they come out. And so it starts to become uncomfortable for them, mm-hmm. all right? And so, of course, she's going to make a statement like that. That's typical. It's not surprising. But you know who else has that problem? Who? Arab and Desi Muslims in Muslim culture. Mm-hmm. They've normalized Mesa culture. So if it's Arab or if it's South Asian, you know, they infight among themselves. But here, mm-hmm. they, they've coalesced into this this isolated Mesa culture. So they put them, a lot of them put themselves in close to proximity to whiteness, which further isolates them as they possibly can. And so when they go into these uh, uh, areas of contact, into these contact zones yeah. with black Muslims, with African black Muslims, with African American Muslims, okay, with Latino Muslims, then they end up uh, exhibiting a lot of anti-blackness, a lot of racism, a lot of social intolerance, and they use like you know how she said, like she said, why can't we be normal? Yeah. There instead, they'll say stuff like, well, we're all Muslims. Why do you have to bring color up into this? Why do why do I have to consider your color? Allah doesn't see color, which is a lie because he talks about how color is one of his signs. The color of people is one of his signs, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other thing. But uh, th- because they're uncomfortable with that, because they want to go back to their their quote-unquote, normal existence of seeing just this Arab, South Desi representation of Islam in popular culture, in the news, 
everywhere and every point of their life. And a lot of them, when they talk about Muslim representation, they're just talking about that specific representation. They're not talking about all the phenomenal Muslim uh, uh, stuff that's out there, just that particular representation. That's why you'll see in Muslim culture, you'll even see that uh, a lot of times they'll give preference to South Asian or Arab artists, even though they're not as good. And I'm just going to be honest. But you Even know what? Not no, no. This is a this is a no filter uh, it's like zone. That mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I would have to, I, I do think that I think a lot of attitudes with regard to um, uh, it's kind of a protection of of an identity uh, worldview mm-hmm. that you find this more in um, the the elder generation. Uh, and this is my, my own personal experience because I think the elements of culture that that, that bind us all, uh, particularly if you're talking if you're talking about uh, music and art, um, mm-hmm. our children across the board, you know, as a general statement, are listening to the same artists. They're listening to the same, um, you know, to the to the same music, and mm-hmm. and that that's and that's just one element. But I think it plays a much bigger uh, part in sensitizing folks to to maybe not have some of the same ideas uh, that some of uh, some of the folks of the parent generation or elder generation might hold. I, I I'm sorry, I have to disagree. Okay, sure, <laughs> go right in. Because what I see out there, mm-hmm. okay, yes, there definitely is a large population of Asian American and Arab American young Muslims that are connecting, okay? But if you speak to a lot of artists in a lot of different fields, you you will find that they will say that they, even among people in their generation of their age, they still experience some levels of anti-blackness in particular. Mm. And uh, the support is not nearly the same. And uh, I'll speak from a literary standpoint because, you know, that's my field. That's my my, uh, area of expertise. Okay, I've been I've been uh, studying uh, American Muslim literature now for over three years. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I can say with all the confidence that I have, as this being my area of expertise, that non-black Muslim authors don't support black Muslim authors. They do not. By and large, they do not. You have some few instances of some of them that that get it. Mm-hmm. And they're out there trying to support, okay, but they're few and far they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. Generally, no, that's not happening, not in literature. Um, I think like someone like uh, Khalil Ismail would be someone to talk to about whether or not it's happening in in music. But a lot from what I've seen, no, not nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as much. Not nearly as much. Okay. And because I've seen too many talented African-American Muslim hip-hop artists in particular, they struggle. Yeah. They're struggling and struggling. I've seen too many uh, African-American uh, 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 visual artists, photographers in particular, they're struggling. Struggling, struggling, struggling. And uh, people with less talent than them are getting on the BuzzFeed and the New York Times and everything like that. So it's, it's very it's very few and far between. I'm not giving the younger generation a pass. The younger generation needs to do better as well. They're not as bad. <laughs> they're not as blatantly racist. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not as blatantly dehumanizing. 
Oh yeah, but they have their own. They have some implicit bias going on. Mm. They definitely have some implicit bias going on. You know, it definitely happens. So we're going to we're going to close with this thought. Um, well, no. Let's close well, positive. But, yes. We're, <laughs> this and, was real negative. No, no. You know what? And and sometimes to get to a place where you can uh, effectuate positive change, you have to address and and realize what's going wrong, where you need to be better at. So mm-hmm. what what I want to close with is accountability versus responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is important, uh, especially important for our um, for our uh, listeners who may feel like the finger was being pointed at them. Right. And, and I and I, I never like for people mm. to feel like, no, not lay, laying responsibility for society's problems on you as an individual. You're not responsible mm-hmm. for none of us are responsible for the, the country uh, that we that we were born in. We're not responsible for the societies we were born into. We're not responsible for, uh, for those things, but we are accountable. We're accountable oh. for what we do when we realize the things that need to be changed, that need to be addressed. We are accountable for those things. So uh-huh. that being said, we pray that nobody feels like um, responsibility is being laid for where we are right now on any individual. Right. But we are definitely all yeah. accountable. And to quote Senator uh, Kamala Harris just the other day, um, uh, I, lo- I loved her. What she said, she says, <laughs> we're better than this. Yeah, we're better. Than and this. I think the younger generation, I'm sorry, no, I think the no. younger generation, the younger Muslim generation, mm-hmm. they can do it. Yeah, they can do it. They can make it. They, they can start to tear down at all of these walls that we have in our culture and they can really make it something spectacular. I have I have confidence that they can do it. I just think that they need to be on the radar. I think once they realize it, that the the. the this generation of American Muslims is mm-hmm. phenomenal, and they can definitely uh, shift the culture to the better. I, I, I have confidence in this chance. And I'm so, with you on that. And I'm going to give a big shout out to my uh, to my people, my DePaul Uma people, the MSA over there. Phenomenal group of young people that uh, I expect really big things out of. Um, so awesome. shout out to DePaul Uma. Uh, shout out to Sheikh Abdul Malik uh, Ryan. And uh, with that. We are going to close out and yeah, we got to do it again. As, as always, more to talk about, not enough time. So <laughs> you can follow, you can follow Layla on Twitter uh, at NBA Muslims and also uh, at Layla Pulos. That's uh, with the Y. And about Islam. Oh, okay. Yes. And, and about Islam as well. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, folks. We thank you for tuning in. We thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, I'm going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.